the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. We worship God in spirit and in truth, which means we worship from the heart. It's emotional. It should be emotional. But don't get carried away in your emotion. It'd be very easy to feel like Moses is being a little insensitive here, but he's not. Calamity does take an emotional toll. I say this with all gentleness. That is true, but hardship is never an excuse for disobedience. It's never an excuse for disobedience. Even extreme hardship is never an excuse for disobedience. We know from all of the Old Testament that God's always been after the heart, right? If these guys had just gotten a little sidetracked or something and their hearts were there and they were trying to bring glory to God instead of themselves, I don't think God would have killed them because Aaron didn't do everything exactly right either. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we join Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in a study of the book of Leviticus. The first several chapters of Leviticus showed us the various offerings and sacrifices that were used in the worship of God. Aaron and his sons were to be the priests, interceding between God and the children of Israel. Everything was ready. Aaron and his sons consecrated themselves, the tabernacle, and the altar. God had accepted their offerings and sacrifices. But tragedy struck when two of Aaron's sons offered strange fire, fire that was not commanded to be used. God instructs his people to worship him his way because he is a holy God and not like any other little gods mankind would serve. He is separate and above all. We pick up with Pastor Will as he elaborates on this topic in Leviticus chapter 10, verse 6. Worship your way isn't worship at all. (laughs) In fact, you're really just worshiping yourself because you're putting your ideas above God's commands. Paul condemns this in Colossians 2.23 as will worship. That's what he calls it. Worship that arises out of my will. The very nature of worship is submission to his will. John Calvin called this will worship, worship which men choose for themselves at their own option without authority from God. I don't think I could say it better than that. The main words for worship in both the Old and the New Testament, they mean the same thing, to bow down, to prostrate oneself. That means to get on your knees and to spread your hands out wide. It's what we do when we arrest people, right? Sometimes. There's no room for this is how I like to worship in that. You're in a completely vulnerable, awkward position. There's no room for this is how I like to worship in that. It's absolute surrender to the one you're bowing to. It's adoration of the one who is higher than you. And it's obedient service to the one who sends you out on his tasks. It's just as much listening to what he has to say as it is telling him how great he is. Brought to mind a saying from one of the books by C.S. Lewis in the Chronicles of Narnia. It's in the silver chair and Jill has now come to this new world with Eustace and she gets angry and she pushes him off a cliff. Nice friend. But the wind takes Eustace somewhere and whatever and so now she's wandering alone in a place where she doesn't know where anything is and she needs food. She needs sustenance. So she sees a river, but as she approaches it, she notices there's a lion by the river and it's Aslan, of course. 
And the lion says, are you not thirsty? I'm dying of thirst, said Jill. Well, then drink, said the lion. Oh, may I? Could I? Would you mind going away while I do, said Jill? The lion answered this only by a look and a very low growl. And as Jill gazed at its motionless bulk, she realized that she might have well asked the whole mountain to move aside for her convenience. The delicious rippling noise of the stream was driving her nearly frantic. Well, will you promise not to do anything to me if I do come, said Jill? I make no promise, said the lion. Well, Jill was so thirsty now that without noticing it, she had come a step nearer. Do you eat girls, she said. I have swallowed up girls and boys, women and men, kings and emperors, cities and realms, said the lion. It didn't say this as if it were boasting, nor as if it were sorry, nor as if it were angry. It just said it. Then I daren't come and drink, said Jill. Well, then you will die of thirst, said the lion. Oh, dear, said Jill, coming another step nearer. I suppose I must go and look for another stream then. There is no other stream said the lion. I love that. I love at the end of, you know, the lion, the witch in the wardrobe when Lucy and Mr. Tumnus, I guess, they see Aslan walking and she says, I don't remember her exact question, but she says, is he safe? You know, or something along those lines. And he says, no, I wouldn't call him safe. (laughs) He's not exactly a tame lion. But then she says, but he is good. Mr. Tumnus replies, yes, he is. We sometimes forget that he is the lion of Judah, roaring in power, as the scripture says. When he returns, the Bible says that he's going to destroy with the brightness of his coming all of those who stand opposed to him. It says they'll melt like, you know, in fervent heat where blood will flow to the horse's bridles. Listen, I know it's gross, but that's what the Bible says. And so when we come here and we see this situation where the Lord says, I will be sanctified, we don't approach it like someone else saying, well, I wanted this for my birthday, so I'm not happy. God is not some selfish brat up in the sky demanding we worship him a certain way. He is God Almighty who knows what is right and what is just. And for Nadab and Abihu to disregard that and disobey that, it was a very prideful approach to God, one we should never emulate. We stand before God by the righteousness of Christ alone. So to stand out here and and to worship God in your own righteousness or, or when you're stubbornly persisting in your disobedience is no less heinous than what these two did. Don't do that. You might fool us, but you're not fooling God. When I read this story, I know many people frequently think, how could God do that? But when I read this story, I don't think, how could you, God? I just wonder why it doesn't happen more. Jeremiah, as he gazed out, the prophet wondered the same thing. As he's watching his people being marched off to Babylon, seeing the destruction of the city. In Lamentations 3.22, he utters words to us that are, very famous. He says in Lamentations 3.22, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. What? Great is thy faith. Lord, he says, you could have wiped us out and been done with us. The fact that I'm watching people even march in front of me shows that you're compassionate, that you are merciful because we deserve to be wiped out. And you didn't do it. You know, God doesn't do it to us. So we need to make sure we set him apart in our hearts that we don't take that mercy and grace for granted, that we don't use it as a license to behave however we want to, but we have hearts that are yielded to him and setting him apart in our worship. The second problem, it seems to indicate, the Lord says, I'll be sanctified in them that come near to me. Verse three, he continues, Moses explains to Aaron, and before the people, I will be glorified. So the second reason seems to be that He had not been glorified by their actions. Their actions took the attention off God and put it on themselves. 
I've always thought of those who serve publicly during our services as the backup band. So whether through music or if you're a person who's praying in public or you're teaching the scriptures, all of those individuals should be acting in such a way that takes the attention off of them and puts it on Jesus. See, the job of a musical team is to get the congregation singing, to get the congregation surrendering to the Lord. The moment they step into that process and put the focus on themselves, they're in sin. And if you're here today and you want to be in a rock band, then go be in a rock band. If you want to win a Grammy, go register for America's Got Talent. But please stay away from this stage. Please. Now, if you want to be part of the backup band, congregation rarely realizes is there because of how awesome the main show is, then please come. We'd love to have you because Jesus is the main show and we're here to worship him, not you. The same is true for the congregation. What we do here is not for you. We don't do music so that you can prepare your heart for the sermon. A lot of people think that's what music is. We do music because we're preparing our hearts for the message. No, no, we're not. Worship is for God. He commands us to worship him. He commands us to sing to him. He commands us to play instruments to him, whether you like them or not. He commands us to glorify him. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Worship is for God. So get your eyes off the talented musicians or the poorly performing musicians or the loud musicians or the not cool enough or the not contemporary enough or not traditional enough musicians and put them on Jesus. Engage your heart as you sing and give him the glory that he's due. As we sang those songs this morning about the incarnation, I was just thanking God for, for Lord, you, I can't believe you did that. You stepped into this world. You died for my sins. Thank you. That's what worship is supposed to be about. Give him the glory that he's due. Now, when Aaron heard that, it says he held his peace. He kept silent despite the great difficulty. I can only imagine Aaron accepted the Lord's actions without complaint after Moses explained, you know, their wrongdoing. Verse four, so Moses called Mishael and Elazaphan and the sons of Uziel, who was the uncle of Aaron. So these are Aaron's cousins and said unto them, come near and carry your brethren, the two dead ones from in front of the sanctuary out of the camp. So they went near and carried them in their coats out of the camp. Jewish burials were quick, so this wasn't being insensitive to Aaron. We saw that in Acts 5, where they immediately, somebody dies, you start wrapping them up and you take them out. Jews did not linger over a body that no longer contained a soul. And so it mentions the guys came in, they carried them in their coats, so in their anointed clothing, right outside the camp, and they buried them, as Moses had said. You know, their behavior had defiled the very things that symbolized their dedication to God. Preaching a good sermon or being a good musician or moving the people with a passion-filled prayer doesn't make a person holy. Obedience and surrender to God does. And then verse six, Moses said unto Aaron, to Eliezer, and unto Ithamar, those are the other two brothers who survived, he said, do not uncover your heads. The Jews expressed their grief very outwardly. They wouldn't comb their hair. They'd let it run wild. They would tear their clothes. And, and so you know, he says to him, I don't want you doing that. Don't uncover your heads, don't rend your clothes, lest you die, and lest wrath come upon all the people. But let your brothers, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning which the Lord has kindled. And you shall not go out from the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, lest you die, for the anointing of the Lord is upon you. And so they did, according to the word of Moses. You know, Aaron and the two remaining brothers weren't allowed to mourn in that way. It wasn't that they weren't allowed to mourn. We'll get to that in a moment. They weren't allowed to mourn by showing the great expression of grief. Their priestly duties took priority. Now, you might be sitting there going, so does that mean ministry is more important than family? No, not at all. But the commitment of ministry requires family sacrifices. It requires it. 
You know, frequently I'll see a, a gentleman who has a call on his life and he, he has a heart to serve the Lord. But you know, the, the, his wife is not willing to make the sacrifice. I'm not willing to give up the time. I'm not willing to give up what it will take away from me or from, from us. And, and hey, that's why Jesus said, count the cost. You know, if, if you can't do that, then you can't do this. So there is a sacrifice in ministry that's given. And anyone unwilling to make those sacrifices is not fit for the ministry. Jesus said, he who puts his hand to the plow and turning back is not fit for the kingdom of God, is not fit for God to use him in that capacity. So he says, let your brethren, the children of Israel, let them do the mourning, all the outward mourning, and, and, and bury, at the, bury them and take care of this. And again, I've heard some say that Aaron wasn't allowed to mourn at all because that would have been an insult to God, challenging his judgment. But if that's true, then why does God let the nation mourn their death? I don't see that at all here. Some have said, well, they couldn't mourn him because they did wickedness. Listen, loss of a loved one is sad, no matter the cause. God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked, and this isn't why God doesn't let them mourn. They had a job to do for the rest of the day to serve the Lord. And so the Lord says, you have already been anointed. You're already here. You need to finish the task that I've given to you to do. One Bible commentator said, even in a time of great calamity, the priests of the Lord must set an example to the nation of strict obedience to the will of God. They couldn't disobey God to go out there and mourn their kids who had died. To follow the bodies to their burial would cause them to commit the same sin Nadab and Abihu did by mixing that which was dedicated to God with that which wasn't. They were never to wear their garments in everyday life, only in the tabernacle. And so Moses says, you can't go out. They'll take care of it. Now, in verse 8, we find what may have been the source or at least a contributing factor to them disobeying the Lord. Their judgment may have been impaired. Because in verse 8, it says, The Lord spake unto Aaron, saying, Do not drink wine nor strong drink, you nor your sons with you. When you go into the tabernacle of the congregation, lest ye die, it shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. So here the Lord prohibits any alcohol use by his his priests, by his ministers there. Now some say wine here means grape juice. That's not so. Wine refers to fruit-based alcoholic beverages and strong drink refers to grain-based alcoholic beverages. That's the only difference between the two. And the Lord says to him, and that you may put difference between the holy and the unholy. The phrase there, and that, he says, the reason I'm prohibiting it is so that you may put difference between the holy and the unholy. So this implies that another reason for Nadab and Abihu's judgment was they were impaired. They were inebriated while serving and this impaired their judgment. Now, some people say, so the priest could drink at home, just not while they worked. No, that's not what it means. It meant as long as they were serving in the capacity of a priest, number sets that age from 25 to 50. They couldn't do it till they were 25. When they hit 50, they retired. During those 25 years, they weren't permitted to drink alcohol. Now, it's interesting, a similar prohibition is given to elders and deacons in the New Testament. And God gives two really good reasons why here. He says, number one, that you might put a difference between what is dedicated to God, what's holy and unholy, what's clean and unclean. Leaders have always been called to a higher standard. They have a responsibility to clearly show the difference between what pleases God and what doesn't. Abstaining from alcohol shows that they're staying as far away as possible from drunkenness. What displeases God, staying as far away as possible, that's what pleases God. And verse 11 gives a second reason, that you may teach the children of Israel all the statutes which the Lord has spoken unto them by the hand of Moses. 
Their job was to have a clear mind at all times so they could instruct the people in God's word. Church leaders don't have the option of being off the clock in regards to dispensing truth. You don't get to enjoy a nightcap because of a long day. At that moment, when you're buzzing a little bit, you might get a phone call because someone's wife just left them. And you better be of your wits. You better be able at that moment just be like, well, bro, roll with it. No, you can't do that. Just have a drink and you'll be all right. You know, just like me, I had a rough day too. You need to be ready to give godly counsel, to love that person, to hear from the spirit of God and speak truth into their life boldly. So if you aspire to being a pastor or missionary or worship leader, I recommend putting the alcohol completely away now because your job is to be ready in season and out of season. That means at all times to teach people God's word, not just when you're behind a microphone. Verse 12, the show goes on. So Moses spake unto Aaron, unto Eleazar, and unto Ithamar, his sons that were left. He said, take the grain offering that remains of the offerings of the Lord made by fire. Eat it without leaven beside the altar, for it is most holy. This is in commandment to stuff earlier in Leviticus, so I'm not going to go over it again. And you shall eat it in the holy place, because it is your due, your portion. And your son's due of the sacrifices of the Lord made by fire, for so I am commanded. Once the bodies are removed and Moses has given these instructions prohibiting alcohol use, he says, all right, we need to get back to the task at hand. You need to eat this grain offering. Do it without leaven. Do it in the holy place like God has commanded you. For he says, for so I have been commanded. Moses is being very meticulous here so no further judgment uh, occurs. And then he says, in the wave breast and the heave shoulder, he says, you shall eat it in the clean place. That's from the peace offering. You and your sons and your daughters with you. So your family, I mean, I can't imagine how hard this was, but they needed to do it because otherwise they're going to leave this incomplete. He says, you need to bring your family in. You're going to eat of that part, which is your due, which are given out of the sacrifices of the peace offerings of the children of Israel. Verse 15, the heave shoulder and the wave breast shall they bring with the offerings made by fire of the fat to wave it for a wave offering before the Lord and it shall be yours and your sons with you by a statute forever as the Lord has commanded. It'd be very easy to feel like Moses is being a little insensitive here, but he's not. Calamity does take an emotional toll. I say this with all gentleness. That is true, but hardship is never an excuse for disobedience. It's never an excuse for disobedience. Even extreme hardship is never an excuse for disobedience. And so when Moses, as they go about doing this stuff, he finds out that something else is out of order, he's livid, verse 16. And so Moses diligently sought for the goat of the sin offering. He's looking everywhere. Where's the meat from the goat of the sin offering? And behold, it was burnt. It had to be burnt. It had to be burnt outside the camp, which is why he couldn't find it. And this was not supposed to be. Some was to be burned on the altar and some was to be burnt outside the camp. But there was some meat that was to be eaten by Aaron and his sons. And there's a reason for it. And so Moses, he just, remember, he's got an anger problem. And he's just thinking, fire's coming next on these guys too. And so when he finds out, he lays into, finds out who did it. He knows it's Moses' other two sons. He lays into him. It says he was angry with Eleazar and Ithamar, the sons of Aaron, which were left alive. He's thinking, they're going to die too. Why have you not eaten the sin offering in the holy place, seeing it is most holy? And God has given it to you to bear the iniquity of the congregation to make atonement to them before the Lord. Behold, the blood of it wasn't brought in within the holy place. You should have indeed eaten it in the holy place as I command. Why didn't you do what you're supposed to do? They might be saying, what does it mean that when they eat it, they bear the iniquity of the congregation? Well, remember, everything the priests did with the offerings had meaning. See, the picture was that just as they ate the meat of the sin offering and the meat disappeared, 
It would be like their sin had disappeared and God had forgiven it. And this also, of course, painted a picture looking forward to the time when our great high priest would bear our sin and take our iniquity upon him and make atonement for us. So they were messing up the entire picture by burning it outside the camp instead and not bringing the blood and putting it in the holy place. So Moses, uh, God's just going to judge everybody. But I love it here because the guy who couldn't stand up to Moses when confronted with the sin of the golden calf steps up to defend his sons. And Aaron said unto Moses, Behold, this day have they offered their sin offering and their burnt offering before the Lord. We, we came here to dedicate ourselves to service. That represented our dedication of our service. As such things have befallen me. This isn't just my son's fault. That's somewhere there's a fault on my part too. Somewhere there's a fault in their part too. There's somewhere we're, we're all responsible here. And he says, and if I had eaten the sin offering today, should it have been accepted? And should God have been pleased with that? He explains, Moses, this is my call. Don't yell at them. It was my call to burn the meat outside. And he says, I had a good reason. I didn't want to offend God further by our sin. I didn't think it was right for us to eat it. And when Moses heard that, it was content. Calm down. He said, you know what? Heart's in the right spot. I understand. And when Aaron didn't do things perfectly, he had his heart in the right place. And see, We kind of wonder, why didn't God strike them dead? Well, unlike the brothers who acted on their own, Eleazar and Ithamar were just following orders. And while Aaron has to be hurting for the death of his sons, he knows what they did was wrong, and he didn't see how God could be pleased with them for eating an offering for sin when it was his family that had come in and defiled the tabernacle. And so he cast himself upon God's grace rather than just go through the motions of doing something. We know from all of the Old Testament that God's always been after the heart, right? If these guys had just gotten a little sidetracked or something and their hearts were there and they were trying to bring glory to God instead of themselves, I don't think God would have killed them because Aaron didn't do everything exactly right either. See, God is gracious and he knows we fall short even when our hearts are yielded to him. You ever done that before? Your heart's in the right spot, but you blow it so badly. The Lord is gracious. Aaron and his sons, they did what they thought God wanted in the humility of their hearts. And that's why God didn't discipline them, but he killed the other two brothers. And I wonder if that's why we don't see more of that happen. Because the Lord knows that, yeah, you're being really lackadaisical or not very committed in your approach to worship me right now, but I I know your heart's towards me. Can you just clean it up a little bit? (laughs) I'm so thankful for that because I know I hear from God imperfectly too, and I'm not always 100% yielded to him. In closing, in our worship, let's not get caught up in any of these things. Don't show up to church drunk. That's a good no-no. Don't try to draw attention to yourself. That's another big no-no. Don't be disobedient to God's word. I have people come to me sometimes and they say, why don't you allow speaking in tongues during the church service? I'll tell you why. The Bible says not to. If we're teaching the word right now, we're going here. Paul said, you know, people, he says, you in Corinth, he says, every one of you, you have a song, you have a tongue, you have a this, you have a that, you have a this. He goes, not be, everything can be done decently in order. We'll have time for that at different times. But right now, God's not gonna interrupt the teaching of his word so somebody can just ilio shundai and distract all the attention from him and put it on themselves. And we had these guys at Bible college when I was there, they always sat in the front left. And as we're singing, we're singing to God. They're going like this, up and down, going, we're not worthy, God, we're not worthy, God. I just wanted like one of those, you know, paint guns, you know? Get out of the way. I don't care whether you're so spiritual or not worthy, you know? I'm trying to focus on him. And all I can hear is you. Don't be disobedient to God's word. And be careful about being caught up in emotion. We worship God in spirit and in truth, which means we worship from the heart. It's emotional. It should be emotional. But don't get carried away in your emotion. Don't get carried away into your emotion where you think, oh, this is the great moment, and all of a sudden you're out of control. I'll have people sometimes, they'll do something weird, and I go, why'd you do that? And they go, oh, the spirit of God. Like, no, it wasn't. 
The fruit of the Spirit is self-control, not out of control. You're not going to lose control of yourself somehow and just start running around the church and going, oh, Jesus. You go to some fellowships and that's what you'll see. You'll see it. That's not the Spirit of God. That's the emotion of man out of control. In our worship, let's give glory to God. Let's set him apart as distinct and unique. And then let's engage in such a way that we give everything to him. Amen? All right, let's all stand and pray. Lord, what a sobering passage this evening. And we do lay hold of it. We don't want to worship you casually, God. You're not a tame lion, Lord. You have been known to eat some little boys and little girls. Lord, you have been known to bring swift wrath and mighty punishment. But Lord, we stand here by your grace and we confess that freely now. We don't stand in our own righteousness, we stand in your righteousness. And our desire is to give you the worship that is due, not just by singing words of a song, but by engaging our heart and being surrendered to you. So Lord, we don't ever want to offer you strange fire. We want to give you the the fire that you've placed in us. You've created us to worship you. You say that in Revelation. We are created to bring you pleasure, created us to worship you. And we want to give you that worship that's due. So right now we surrender everything to you, Lord, to sing to you, Lord, whether we like the song or not, whether we're feeling a certain way or not, we choose to worship you, to surrender everything, to bow ourselves before you completely in Jesus' name. God is a holy and just God. Worship is supposed to be all about Him. This is because God is worthy of our worship. Who He is in character is deserving of all our honor and respect. Nothing should get in the way of the honor due Him. Not even ourselves or our presuppositions. We must worship Him in spirit and in truth. If you have any spiritual or physical need, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.